Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Before we get rolling into this week's episode, just a few house points to talk about. Uh, it feels like summer has officially ended for me. It is now, you know, just a couple days away from school starting again and... That kind of changes everything for me. So no more big adventures. Maybe get out on some weekend adventures, but it's going to be difficult because uh, we do have a baby at home and then my wife will be working and I'll be on parental leave. But, you know, I won't be able to just take off on weekends, probably. Uh, maybe for one-nighters. So we'll see. Just last week before rolling into my new school year, I decided to get out there and ride the Canadian Shield 1000. And I chose the 1000 because I only had four full days before I had to be at the office, like for a professional development day. So realistically, meaning I had three to three and a half days to ride. And uh, that was going to be it. That was all the time I had. And even then, I was skeptical that I would get it all done because I know how challenging the, the route I had made was. And... As it stands, I think I got through about, I haven't actually calculated the numbers, but around 700 kilometers of it, uh, maybe 650. And uh, I just kind of ran out of time. I did have to hold up in a hotel for one night. Uh, that was like 12 hours. Um, there was some massive storms going through, which which really impacted everything. And I'm going to talk about it more in its own ride cast. So I'll leave it at that. But um, yeah, that makes it really challenging and, and definitely some little surprises came up along the way, um, you know, as it goes. And yeah, had a good time recovering. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be heading off to Halliburton, Ontario for the eight hours of Hurton and Halliburton gravel race. And uh, that'll be actually the first gravel event I take on. So I'm really excited to do that. And I, I feel like eight hours is a perfect amount of time for an event that, you know, pushes you and challenges you because it's it's long enough to to be painful, but also, it's not a sprint, so we'll see. Uh, next up, I'd like to thank my newest Patreon, Rachel Roberts, for supporting the show. I really appreciate it, and it helps keep things going. So really thank you, Rachel. And for anyone else out there, just a few bucks a month, and you can support the podcast and help cover some of the yearly costs that go into keeping the show running. And uh, it just makes me feel really good to know that people like the podcast and that, yeah, I mean, We've been really tight here in this household because of uh, maternity leave. And uh, yeah, I'm already thinking towards fees coming up in January. And my, you know, I'm happily, I'm happy. I'm so thankful that many people support the podcast and that I won't have to go too far into our own savings to pay off these annual fees to keep making the podcast. And if there's any money left over, because hopefully more and more people support the show, I would definitely like to buy a few little things. Um, that will help me to continue to produce high quality material like I've been doing. So thank you guys for supporting me. And if you're not doing it already, I'd love it if you did. Anyways, if not, you can always go to your podcast platform app and give me a five-star rating. I really appreciate that as well. It keeps me up on the listening charts and exposure is everything. So thank you guys and keep on pedaling. Now onto the intro. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panaski. 
This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bikepacker, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. All right, in this episode of the Bike to Adventures podcast, I have the opportunity to speak with Ariana and Daniel about their amazing cycling adventure. Coming from opposite ends of Europe and having vastly different bike touring experiences, these two physicists fell in love with not just bike touring, but also each other. After spending a considerable amount of time designing and manufacturing their own bikes, Daniel and Ariana embarked on a massive adventure with their dog Zola to make a GPS drawing of a bike on the European continent. So as to encourage people to ride more bikes, and put more thought into how they can minimize their environmental impact. Over the three years it took to accomplish this mission, they ended up setting a world record for creating the world's largest GPS drawing. Ariana, Daniel, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Um, thank you. Yeah, really. Thank you for, for coming on. I know it was, uh, I'm glad it happened this quick because often it, you know, by the time I communicate with somebody and we talk and then it could be two or three weeks, sometimes a month, two months later. Um, I think we, we just kind of hit the perfect timing where we, we both had some free time and we could make this happen. Yes. So it's really cool. Why don't you start by telling us about yourselves? Okay. Uh, shall I start? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I am Italian. Uh, I used to work as a physicist until uh, three years ago. I was doing research in physics. Um, I got my PhD from the University of Nottingham, which is where I met Dan. Mm -hmm. And we moved to Finland together and then to Italy. And then uh, about three years ago, I stopped working and uh, I decided to, to take up this, uh, this project of uh, drawing the bicycle. Interesting. Uh, For mine, mine's along similar lines. I was also a physicist. Oh, yeah? Um, experimental physicist and I was theoretical. Um, and then... I was also doing my PhD in Nottingham, so I mean, it's, 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 it's a repetition, but um, <laughs> but it was four years ago I stopped working as a physicist. Okay. And then we started messing around in workshops, trying to make bicycles, and then and then we, together, yeah, so, and then we started this trip. Okay, so, theoretical and experient, experiential, experimental physicist, I, I have no idea what's the difference, but um, I guess one is just thinking about it, one's doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about physics and that person's doing it. Okay. Um, so what brought you guys to Finland? I guess it was work or? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And is there like a big physics thing in Finland that I don't know about? I mean, I probably don't know about it anyways, but. It's a nice university there uh -huh. that uh, had a place for both of us, given that we work in different areas. It's very difficult uh, as researchers to find mm -hmm. a place at the same university. And we did that, and uh, the, the the jobs were good, and so we the pay was good, and yeah. so we moved there. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Finland has good pay because it's so expensive to live there too, right? Like the, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, and have you guys been cyclists this whole time? Or you, did you grow up as like biking and all that, or is it kind of something that happened a little later in life, or one of you got into because of the other? Uh, so I I. I loved cycling all my life, but, you know, I just had a, a shitty mountain bike and mm -hmm. I did uh, little things as a, as a kid, as a, as a teenager around the area where I live uh, now, actually. Um, and uh, it was during uh, the university in, uh, in Italy mm -hmm. that uh, uh, because I wanted to study in a bike-friendly city, I started using the bike as a means of transport, so I didn't have a car there. What city uh, was this? It was Pavia. It's oh. near Milan. Okay. It's very, it's a student city, very young, very bike friendly, and uh, and basically from there I started using the bike for, you know, every day. Yeah. 
And then I also started cycle touring back then. So it's almost uh, 18 years ago. And uh, I loved it. I remember the first experience. It was in Denmark. It was super flat, super easy. But I, I just loved it. And so from then, pretty much every summer, I've been doing some Oh, wow. Cycling. And also commuting to work pretty much every day. Uh, also when we were living in Finland, also when it was minus 20. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so for me, I remember always having a bike as a kid. I remember going up and down like a little uh, not asphalted lane at the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, I've always had a bike, but I, I mean, I wasn't that into it. I've never been a cyclist properly. Um but, yeah, so it's always been a way of going to work or a way of going to play football or, like, it's always been a means of transport rather than a sport in itself. Mm-hmm. And then my first cycle touring was when I was about 20-ish with my sister, and we didn't do much cycling. We drank lots of wine and didn't really cycle very far yeah, at all. Happens. But, yeah. Uh, were you in Italy by any chance? <laughs> we, we were in Scotland. Okay. We were, we, we, when we were drinking wine and it was yeah and then harry and i got together more or less because i wanted to go cycle touring and she was willing to come with me and this was before we were together mm-hmm. and then we went cycling together and we kind of ended up together by the end of the cycle tour so yeah nice yeah yeah conveniently um, only brought one tent and next <laughs> exactly exactly uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. That's how uh, you guys both kind of you you grew your passion and ariana already had the passion for touring and did you, yeah. in those early tours when you wanted to go, like, how much did you learn from Ariana and her experiences? Because I'm guessing she had a lot more bike touring experience compared to you at that point. Yeah, she certainly did. Um, it was her that introduced me to, like, properly waterproof panniers. I, I mean, the first time I went away, I was with some really rubbish, like, 10 euro. And, yeah, they were just rubbish. And they let the water in, so the clothes were wet. We were in Scotland. It was a disaster. Oh, terrible. Um but so it was her, I mean, she, she, yeah, I learned a lot from her in the early time. The, in terms of kind of mechanical things whilst we're on tour, I've always been fairly able with that. So I was able to contribute in some way, mm-hmm. but she definitely knew more about what was going on, like the routines for the day, looking at the maps, where to go. I mean, yeah. Nice. And prior to this big uh, adventure you've just completed slash world record ride, um, had you traveled with your dog much at all? Uh, not as much as we wanted because, uh, well, the dog is eight years old now okay. and we started, of course, when we got her, we thought, okay, we just put her in a trailer and she'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it didn't go so well as we thought. So she hated the trailer. Oh, okay. And in, uh, in Finland, uh, one uh, summer, she was six months old in this trailer that we just bought. And she hated the whole thing. So we had to actually come back because she was crying so much. She was wet. She had, she got ill and all of that. Mm-hmm. So then we uh, thought, okay, we need to give up this uh, cycle touring with the dog. Maybe we can't do this. But then later she matured and she thought, okay, yeah, I love them. I can follow them. They probably take good care of me. <laughs> and and we went again, and it was better. It was in uh, in Croatia. We still had the trailer. It was much better. Okay. However, then at some point we rented, uh, you know, for an experiment, a cargo bike. We were actually around uh, Verona, uh, and uh, we toured for four days with this Doos cargo bike, and we realized that she was much happier because mm. she was able to see everything from the front, and that's what she wanted. So then we started investigating which bicycles we, I mean, which bicycle we could buy to, to transport or like that, but they are so expensive mm-hmm. and uh, they were not so light either. And so Dan came up with the idea of making a small uh, cargo bike uh, for her to travel with us. So that's how it went basically. And since then we, I mean, she has been so much happier to, to follow us and uh, oh, yeah, nice. she loves it. Yeah, that's one of the big, one of the things, uh, like I recently had on uh, John and Mira on the podcast, and they're doing a dog packing trip around the world, and he uses a basket behind the seat, and Mira seems to be really comfortable with that, and she jumps in and out. I've kind of gone that route too. We did a tour two weeks ago. We did a one-week trip 
with uh, the dog and the baby and everything. And um, I had the baby in the chariot behind me and I put a basket behind my seat and it wasn't bad. Like I could tell the dog wasn't super comfortable. Like she would never lay down. She would sit there. Sometimes she'd put her head against my hip, but for the most part, you know, you could tell that she was burning energy because she was not relaxing, you know, um, super happy to run beside me. She's almost two. So just to give you some perspective, um, but yeah, there may be a trailer or maybe a cargo bike is the next step to see what my dog is really comfortable with because, you know, I want her to also be comfortable on these adventures that I want to take her on. So I yeah. think, uh, that's really cool. It's good to get a new perspective and I never would have considered a cargo bike necessarily. So, um, just cause it means buying one more big machine or building one in your yeah. case. Uh, it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, dog and a baby sounds really hard work, though, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's good for the legs, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and when I have the dog and the baby, I'm not going crazy fast because that means my wife is back there somewhere too. So she's, um, you know, I I do a little bit more work, but it keeps us together as a family, so it's good. <laughs> um, let's talk about um your adventure. Um, what are we going to call this? What, um, Bikes, bicycles will save the world is the name of your Instagram, but um, your bicycle drawing adventure, should we say that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, let's talk about your bicycle drawing adventure. How did you decide to go on this adventure? And I guess, I mean, bringing your dog was just, um, it was, it was just a natural idea, yeah. right? It was never an option that you're going to leave the dog behind necessarily. No, no, not for so long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we we were, I mean, as everyone else, I think uh, in the last uh, four, five, six years, we grew more and more concerned for the environmental mm-hmm. problems, for climate change. And uh, what we think that bicycles represent a great uh, uh, solution, I mean, part of a solution to tackle these problems and so we thought, what can we do to encourage people to give it a thought, to cycle a little bit more, to mm-hmm. leave the car at home maybe one day more a week, I don't know. And then, like one of us, we don't even remember who, because it was quite some time ago, came up with this whole idea. We first thought, okay, let's draw some message, like with a bicycle, you know, let's write yeah. something. But then we thought, no, let's let's draw actually something that is more representative of us. Like, let's draw a bicycle, which is, is so much more clear as a message rather than let's bike or, you know, mm-hmm. just the drawing of a bicycle is, uh, is more fun and more crazy. And so that's what we decided to do. Okay. And um, my question is, I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, you mentioned that you spent three years planning for this like how difficult was it to to look at a map and kind of overlay this idea of a bike on there and choose the right place for it to work out or you know tell us about that process because i don't think it's easy (laughs) so it wasn't three years that we were planning for this like we started three years ago okay like so so we started actually cycling three years ago okay but then we were interrupted by by a knee injury for harry and then, and then also, like so, so this postponed everything by a bit, and that meant we were cycling during the winter of 2019. Oh. And then we decided it was just too cold; like the equipment wasn't mm. enough, and we were a bit soft, and the dog was a bit soft. And then, so in December 2019, we decided to stop and start again in the spring of 2020. But then it, I mean, it was just impossible. I mean, I mean there was yeah. the pandemic. And- it would, I mean, so no travel was allowed, and it wouldn't have been right to do it anyway. So and Italy really closed down, right? So like, it yeah, did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then we was, so yeah, I mean, we so, waited, yeah, until when we felt it was responsible and things calmed down. Mm-hmm. And so we finished just now, but it didn't take three years to plan. We actually planned it probably badly, <laughs> too quickly, because this uh, overlaying process that you speak about was just done by me in a couple of hours one afternoon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because at the time I was working, he was making bicycles. I mean, we were super busy. And yeah. so I had to do it quickly. And uh, I, I, I tried a few attempts of this uh, drawing on Google Maps, but just really five or six. Mm-hmm. And he kept telling me, 
go smaller, smaller, smaller. But I didn't like that. I wanted to be bigger <laughs> and uh, to encompass more countries. And then one of the last attempts, we, I thought that I was happy with it, apart from the fact that there was a small kink in, uh, around the handlebar area. And I didn't understand why Google Maps wouldn't let me go through in a straight line there because I wanted to go in a straight line. And then I zoomed in and I saw that I was asking it to make us pass through Charles de Gaulle. So straight through the... Oh, okay. Yeah, we couldn't do that. So so I moved everything by like 30, 40 kilometers to the left or to the right. I don't remember. I started drawing again. But it was very badly done. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I just wanted to get the shape out there. Yeah looked like a bicycle but then actually when we cycled every day it's not that we followed that route 100 percent because sometimes it made us go on big roads sometimes we had to stop to a campsite sometimes we had to go and buy some food or mm-hmm. get water so you kind of wiggle around it but because it's so big all the wiggles don't affect the actual shape right yeah yeah i was thinking that must must happen and um yeah, that's a massive, massive undertaking. Um, so tell us, what was the distance uh, overall? I mean, I can look at your Instagram and I could tell everybody, but I guess you could just tell us. <laughs> so uh, it was 7,237 kilometers. The ascent was, I don't remember correctly. 71,000. 71,000. I mean, the equivalent yeah. of eight times up Everest. Or- yeah, 71,454. That's wild it's, yeah. yeah but realistically it's not too bad when you consider the size and the fact that you're going through you know europe which has several mountain ranges and that i could see you went right across um that's like 10 percent. that's not not yeah. too much you know like that's yeah. that's not an insane yeah. amount of climbing compared to what could have yeah. been you know yeah. yeah we avoided the alps for that reason Otherwise, it would I mean, have been impossible. I mean, on a day-to-day level, we did look at the we looked at the routes that that, that would be. I mean, we so we had some leeway, and then we did choose the flatter ones. I mean, it was just easier that way. So if there was a river to follow with a bit of a that created a bit of a wiggle, we followed it. Yeah. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. And, um, awesome. And, oh, I didn't ask, what kind of dog is Zola? She's a Lagotto Romagnolo. It's an Italian water dog that specializes in searching for truffles. Oh, nice. And did she do much truffle searching through France and stuff? Useless. No, (laughs) she's useless. (laughs) She's, um, she's a physicist. She knows the theory, but she's, she she's theoretically it. she's a truffle searching yeah. dog. But <laughs> all right, I love it. And um, yeah, before we go too much more into the the tour, tell us about the bikes because I think this is a uh, really interesting. Did you build both bikes or just the the cargo bike? Yeah, yeah, I built both of them. Um, I, I mean, uh, the frame. I mean, I started with the tubes for the frames and, and braised them. Um, so I started, I mean, I've always enjoyed metalwork and mechanical things like this, but, but I did a course with the Bicycle Academy in the UK maybe five years ago or okay. so. And then from there, yeah, it's been a slow process to get there to, to, to these two, yeah. Okay. And tell us a bit about the bikes then. So, ah, so, so one is a, a cargo bike with a kind of, it's, it's got a kind of structure that, 
the, the the frame itself creates a bit of a box for Zola to go in, so it's difficult for her to jump out if she ever wanted to. Okay. I mean, she doesn't have any desire to jump out, but there is something that kind of stops her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a small roof, which is removable, which is great because it keeps the, the sun or the rain off the dog. Um, it's got a pulley steer- steering system, so it's actuated by cables that are running from the handlebars to the front wheel. Okay, yeah. And that's fairly unusual, I think, for cargo bikes. How do they normally work when you have the front wheel so far out? So it's, it's, I think it's more common to do it with a kind of a rod, a push, push pull thing. So you've got a, a linkage system. Mm-hmm. Why did you opt for a cable system as opposed to a push pull rod? So uh, there's a number of reasons, really. Uh, firstly, I think the whole system is lighter. Um, mm. And then there's also. Uh, my understanding is there's a smaller restriction on the on how much you can steer. So so the the the, the turning circle in essence. I mean you can you can steer further around because you're not limited by having a linkage get in the way. Right. So you can turn around in a smaller distance. And then the third reason is that it gives more freedom for the design of the frame. Ah, okay. And you, you don't have to get all the way to the bottom before you start this linkage, which kind of hides it away out of sight and out of. I mean, it doesn't get in the way. Mm-hmm. So the three of those combined, I think, is the reasoning for using the cables as opposed to the linkages. And what kind of cable do you use? I'm assuming it's not like a brake cable. It's probably something a little more robust. It's a brake cable. Is it really? Uh, yeah, it's got so so. There's a redundancy in there. I've got four cables, so two pulling for each direction. Okay. So if anything were to go wrong, there's another to in, in another in the system. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's not that much force going through ultimately, so so it's okay. sufficient. I mean, I'm quite careful to use high quality cables and compressionless housing. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you you end up with something that feels very nice, and I mean, yeah, it's quite widely used, and there's not really a problem there. With, with I want to come to Italy and test out your bike. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be very welcome, but oh, we're yeah. not paying anywhere. You're not paying my airfare. <laughs> Damn it! All right. Um, so, and you did mention that the bike is. You, you built this with the idea of it being a little smaller, probably more in towards the size of your needs when it comes to the basket, uh, because you know yeah. the size of your dog and whatnot, and as well as it came out lighter. So how much light, what does it weigh and in comparison to the, your average cargo bike? So the, the, the frame fork and pulley system, I think comes out to be around seven or eight kilos, which isn't too bad. Um, in terms of comparing it with other bikes, and so so the whole bike, the whole bike with the roof, roof and and the, the fabric and the floor for the dog and things. I mean, I think that comes to about twenty twenty one, perhaps. Is that fair? Yeah. In terms of comparing this with other with other bikes, I'm afraid I don't really know. I've, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm in my mind right away. That's like that's around the weight of a heavy duty steel touring bike you know maybe slightly heavier but not excessively yeah. heavier it's not yeah. too bad i mean of course it depends also on what components you put on yeah. i mean if you put on a car sure. i mean we have a brooks saddle if you put on a carbon saddle then mm-hmm. you lose half a kilo yeah i mean it's all like that but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so i mean this is all with honest components for touring and, and yeah it's this... and with a rack as well yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. okay and um my other question is, how did you um, get all the materials for this? Like, where do you source? Were you using aluminum or steel? And where do you source the materials? So it's it's all made in steel, the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and the components, so for the, for the bicycle-specific tubing, so for the whole of the back end, I use Columbus tubing, and we get that in Italy. I mean, it's, it's quite readily sold. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a number of bicycle shops that, that can order with Columbus. Um, and then for for each of for the small parts like the dropouts and all the brazons and stuff like that, I either go to Keyway in the UK um, or another frame another company called Bare Frame Supplies also in the UK. Oh, okay. Um, and then for the tubing which isn't bicycle specific, so for the stuff that makes up the the, the cargo bay itself, that's that's just straight gauge tubing. And again. I normally go to Keyway, but there's another company in, in Italy that I also use sometimes. Oh, okay. Uh, and now with traffic. with Brexit, does that mean like you wait till you go home for a visit and picked up what you needed rather than pay import-export duties and all that stuff? It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. 
Um, I've done a couple of orders since Brexit, and and it's just a mess. There's more restrictions on on the length of tubing that I can get hold of, which makes it a lot less convenient. And then there's I mean, the, the the taxes is is I don't know if we're permitted to swear, but yeah, you can swear as much as you want. It, it's utter crap. It's really crap. Yeah, it's horrible. It's such a it's a nonsensical. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so this isn't about politics, but yeah. but, but I'm really really upset. It's, it it just makes everything harder work. And yeah, I mean, for small components, I do wait until I go home. I'm not quite sure if that's what I should be doing. Yeah. I think but, it's the way yeah. to go, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mess. Prior it's a to mess. Brexit, if I needed something that was like from Europe and that wouldn't necessarily ship to Canada, I would order to a friend's house in the UK and have them mail it to me. But now with Brexit, it doesn't even make sense to do that because I'd be paying tax and duties yeah. twice or whatever, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, utter it's shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what else I want to ask you? And then the second bike. So w- who was riding the cargo bike? Was that yourself, Daniel, or was that, that was Ariana? Yeah. 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 And what did you build for Ariana? A much more standard touring bike. Um, it's got all the brazons in the positions that we want. So it's all this custom size, of course. Um, but there's really not anything particularly special about it. I mean, it's, it's well, my handlebars are amazing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so all the components, everything we've selected ourselves to be to be really. I mean, it's yeah, made to measure, but, but yeah. I have the handlebars of a I don't know of a fixie perhaps. Yeah, I don't these know. these very Is that the, like the, the horn type ones or. Yeah, yeah. But really narrow. Okay. Yeah. And um, in terms of, I mean, not counting your labor, because I'm sure that's way up there, uh, the hours spent, but uh, in terms of cost, you know, like a, I don't know, a um, surly long haul trucker probably costs about $2,000 US, I'm assuming, or euros around there. what would you have estimated the cost of your, like, let's say Ariana's bike built compared to that? Not counting your hours of labor, because that would put it through the roof. <laughs> Great question. And I have absolutely no idea. I'm okay. So, I mean, because I've, I've, I've been enormously inefficient. I mean, I, when, when we started doing this, I had no idea where to go for painting, for example. Right. So, so we ended up paying, I think, well, it was at least double what we should have paid to get a frame painted. And that's, I mean, these things are enormously frustrating, um, but I mean, you learn. So, so the second time I went to a different guy and he quoted a completely different price and we realized how much, I mean, it was still too much, but I mean, we realized how much too much we paid the first time. Right. So I don't know. I'd find it really hard to put a number on it. I mean, because also, I mean, there was masses of practice. I mean, the number of, of, of braises of, of joints that I've done, I mean, that can't be included in any, any of this. Right. So yeah, no, I I really wouldn't want to put a number on it. Yeah, afraid. and and probably you know when you look at a, a factory that's building bikes or a company that's doing it often, they're buying materials in bulk as well, and they've got the experience. Yeah. There's less waste of material because they don't make the same mistakes again and again. Yeah, yeah. and um, they're probably getting industry pricing on paint jobs and stuff as well. They're getting even no matter what the best price you could possibly find they're definitely paying less, right? So Yeah, without yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's still really cool. It's still super cool to build your own bikes. Um, I mean, it's a great thing. Like, I'd, I'd recommend it to anyone. I mean, there's often courses that one can do, and you end up with a frame that you built yourself, and it's really something that you can be massively proud of. Yeah. But as far as an economic way to go, it's certainly not that. Same with I mean, the bamboo yeah. bikes. There's some, like, bamboo bike kits you can buy out there, and you can watch videos and order, you know, your bottom bracket and uh, a few parts that are metal, but the rest is bamboo. There's some neat stuff you can do. And, um, it's really cool. It's definitely stuff. on yeah. my future yeah. list of things when I have more yeah. time. But. Oh, it's cool. Um, yeah, so you you created the route, um, and, and like you said, you were able to swerve and wiggle and stuff. Um, why did you... I mean, 7,000 kilometers is huge. Was there the idea of like, let's say, if we're going to do this, let's go big and let's kind of try for some kind of world record or was it just kind of happened and then after you go, oh, holy shit, we have a world record. <laughs> yeah, it went like uh, you said the second time. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, well, I mean, technically, we would have the world record for bicycles anyhow because yeah. that was really small. 
so we did want to beat that one. And I mean, yeah, that was no difficulty. But then when we summed up all the kilometers, we realized that we actually beat the, the, the world record that was done with any means of travel, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Japanese guy that wrote Marry Me on uh, Japan. You know, everyone knows about yeah, this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so we found out later. <laughs> it, it really was when we were, so we had all of the GPX files and we were kind of uploading them and seeing the picture kind of emerge. And it really was at the very end. But I don't even know why we checked what the other record was. We had, we... Were... I thought it was above 10,000. I thought it was completely, you know, out of our range. But then he said, it's, it's less than what we did. And... And we, we thought, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's neat. And it wasn't by a ton either, right? It was. But you know, this is not important for us. Mm. All right, so we're back. Sorry yeah. about that, everybody. Anyway. Again, um, continue what you were saying. I know I we got cut off. Uh, so uh, it wasn't really the the goal uh, to get a record. Uh, the goal was to send a message. Uh, the fact that we got the record helped us anyhow spreading the message because it meant that in emailing the Guardian or the BBC, we could say word record and mm-hmm. then blah, 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 you know. And I think that helped us. Anyways, so uh, third time around, yeah, the goal wasn't the world record, but it has definitely helped when you're, you know, talking with media and stuff, right? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it helped uh, getting their attention. Yeah, and has there uh, been... Go ahead. We sorry. are in contact with the Guinness uh, World Record. Uh, the, the the record has not been uh, ratified, mm-hmm. but uh, they say it's unlikely that it will be because we did it in three in three different uh, trips, so it should be a continuous trip. Oh. So that's why we thought we couldn't get it anyhow. Yeah. Uh, but let's see, they, they maybe will make an exception. I don't know. Yeah, let's and see. often I think like I know typically for Guinness you have to give six months or whatever notice before you attempt something so they can look over your plans and do this and that they have their own like way of checking and and then you make your attempt but i'm not sure i'm not i, like, I don't know all the details we, so. applied. we applied when we started oh, and okay. we started collecting the evidence and all of that but when i had the knee injury i understood i mean we had to stop so yeah. we thought there is no point anymore in uh in pushing this because uh they're not gonna let us uh have the record you know mm-hmm. because if you stop you're not allowed. But uh, now they contacted us themselves. And uh, so I don't know. Let's Interesting. see. Interesting. Yeah. And what was the knee injury? Was it caused from just overuse on the bike with, you know, maybe somebody poorly designed a bike that you used yeah. or. <laughs> <laughs> it, I was carrying so much stuff. Ah. It's unbelievable. I was probably carrying bike and stuff. 55 to 60 kilos. Okay. It's crazy. We went up, I mean, to reach the starting point of the bicycle drawing, we crossed the Alps. Uh, so on day two of our cycling, we were going up 2,000 meters, and it was mm. just so hard uh, of us to do this. Yeah. That's then a, the injury came maybe about, if you waited until month two, it would have been more achievable yeah, once your body is. Yeah. But the injury came two months after I started. It's just that I couldn't, I couldn't do anything for it. It was patellofemoral, uh, you know, the usual cycling uh, mm-hmm. injury. And I had to wait for two months before starting cycling again. Ah, Now, tell me, um, you did mention the start of the route. Where does it start? Um, I mean, we can kind of go into where it went, but it's, it's going to be a little bit in and out of some countries many times, I presume. Uh, but give us kind of a breakdown of the route and how it went. So uh, we had initially thought about starting and finishing in Zurich, but then we realised that by imposing that you start and finish at the same point, you have to redo certain stretches more. I mean, you end up repeating more more right. roads than you would otherwise. So we tried to work out what well, Harry tried to work out what the points to start and finish that would minimise the number of pieces that you have to repeat, so mm-hmm. minimise the number of starters, and we ended up starting in a place called Villa Lure, which is a town, a village with maybe, I don't know, 500 people. I mean, there's no one there. No big send-off, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And then finished in an equally small village 
called Campania or something in Belgium. And I was at, oh, and that, sorry. Um, no worries. We've closed. Is that, is that okay? With yeah, the, yeah. No, it's fine. I thought it was my dog. So I muted myself, but, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we finished in this small Belgian village and, and again, there was no one there. So, so to kind of get, a for ourselves, we were searching for the sign of, of the of the village to take a photo in front of it because we knew that we had to finish there. Right. But we couldn't find the bloody thing. It was a small place and, yeah, it was a mess. It was, yeah. And so two places. Yeah, why didn't you include panniers or bikepacking bags on your bikes, you know? <laughs> on the drawing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've got to do so I mean, I suppose we've got all the spokes to do if we get really bored. Yeah, exactly. Huh? You get back out there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> well, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I was just looking at the drawing more closely while you're talking. And yeah, like you said, it, it's, I mean, it's almost impossible to make a, like, it's really difficult to make a wheel. Like when you think of it, like to, to put together a whole bunch of straight or a little bit slightly curvy or whatever, you know, and make a circle on a map. Yeah. A lot and of work. Also, they're really long. Like it's it's six and a quarter times the radius. I mean, that's a lot of kilometers to do. So, I on the on like the down tube, for example, we were cycling in a straight line, and it looks like you're covering some distance. Yeah, and you come quicker than you would expect. But then the circles just take forever. It's absurd. It's, yeah, it's painful. And and as you're going through the circle, you're like, oh my god, we could have just like cut across this thing and been done you know <laughs> yeah yeah you you end up at the same point you bloody started <laughs> yeah yeah oh man brutal um we should have used Egyptian wheels <laughs> other than the knee were there any other you know medical issues that came up or medical issues uh, uh well zola got unwell but uh no. i mean wasn't too serious. Nothing it wasn't too serious. serious. She drank some dodgy water and she had problems. Yeah, that happens, huh? It's hard to no, control but... dogs from drinking water. And... Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially when you are cycling a heat wave in plus 39. No, I think that was the only one. Guys, I wanted to ask you, what were people's thoughts on this plan? Like when you told people, this is what we're doing. So um, the universal response is that we're a bit mad, which is fair. Um, well, you are a physicist, also, so like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> um, and there was also difficulty quite often kind of trying to explain because I neither of us speaks French or German or whichever other language that you might need to use there, right? So it, there was a problem in communication, but then when we showed them the picture of the map, it generally became fairly clear and it, I mean, it was generally positive, yeah. no, yeah, I mean. One or two, I mean, people just laugh sometimes, which yeah. is perfectly valid. Um, and I think, I think quite a few people didn't really understand that we were doing it with a serious point to aim. It is stupid. It's it's a kind of fun way of making a serious point. I hope. Um, so I don't think that was well appreciated or well understood. Mm. But uh, but that aside, very positive. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys think you've, do you feel like you've achieved what you were out to do in the sense of like spreading the word of positivity of bicycles and environmental uh, awareness? I, I think we did much better than what, uh, what uh, we expected. Like the coverage that we got, it's insane. We didn't expect this. I yeah. mean, we ended up on BBC World News. That's which- amazing. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, I think we reached a few, probably a million people with the message. That's, that's awesome. And it's just great. It's great. It yeah. feels really good. Yeah. If yeah. there's one person that shouldn't be on TV, it's me. I was going gonna to say that. No. <laughs> I, it's just your British accent. Uh, no. Um, no, my, my thoughts were like, do you ever feel... My question is, do you ever feel like you're way out of your depth when all of a sudden you're on TV and people are listening to you around the world and you're like, who am I to be talking about this? There's, you know, there are, there are clearly other physicists that could do a better job of this <laughs> or uh, that, you know, that who am I? I'm just, I'm just a person riding a bike, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So one of the messages that we received were like, we were saying that we were nervous about doing this publicity stuff and mm-hmm. his response don't worry if you know what you're talking about we'll be fine I mean, but we don't <laughs> yeah. yeah 
But um, also the response from people afterwards has been really nice in that, I mean, like some people have messaged us saying thank you in some sense. I mean, saying that the, the, the message isn't just from us, that they agree so strongly and that they're happy to see someone kind of, or some 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 people do. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It feels like you're carrying a message also on behalf of other people, and this yeah. has been really nice. Mm. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. I mean, I was I was actually camping in a a huge uh, park called Algonquin Park, and I saw this post, and I was like, oh, I'm going to message them right now and see if they want to be on the podcast because it's really cool. Yeah. It's something nice to talk about, you know. It's it's a different kind of adventure, which is always fun. And you had a dog, so I love talking about dog travel. So on that note, oh, last question before we go to the dogs was: um, Were you rode, riding mostly paved roads, gravel? Was it quite a mix because you had no choice? Um, what was the a mix? A mix, yeah. A mix. So to try and get the the distance done every day, we use some biggish roads, some some well surfaced roads. But then, and so it comes Not back big. biggish, big. yeah. Okay. And then, and then coming back, I mean, going on to the next subject. I mean, to get the dog to walk whilst we were cycling, we had to do. It. We went through forests, went for unpaved stuff where there weren't cars, and so she could run free. I mean, this, oh, okay. And it had to be fun for her. So, so the, there was a real mixture in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when when the dog is running, is she always off leash, or like, did you have a way of her running attached? I, I don't know how it works on a cargo bike. Like on the, my bicycle, I have the leash around my waist, clipped, mm-hmm. and she can run beside me, and she's quite happy and cool to do that. But at the yeah. front of a bike, it's a different story. Like the only way I could see it is attaching her to the bike, and then what if there's an accident or something? You know? Exactly. Yeah. So we. I mean, where it's possible, we had a free because, I mean, it's just nicer for her. She gets to stop and sniff. She does whatever she needs to, and we don't need to concentrate so much. Mm-hmm. But then, there, I mean, when it was kind of an in intermediate road where we didn't feel safe, or I didn't feel safe primarily letting her free, but we wanted her to be walking, I held the lead in my hand. So, I mean, there was some control. I could regulate how mm. how much speed she had. Um, but, yeah, so we... we didn't tie to the bike ever because no. it doesn't seem like the right thing to do. I mean, if, yeah. if, if I fell off, then that would be really bad. So when she was um, in the, when she's in the front of the cargo bike, the lead is attached to her and you just have it kind of like near your yeah, handlebars. So you could just guide her off, slow down. And... Sorry, this is only when she's walking and she was on the lead sometimes. Okay. When she's in the bike itself, she's completely free. She's, I mean, she's a good girl. She's learned yeah. that, that, yeah, she can't jump she out. She doesn't jump out. Okay, so for her to get out, then you have to stop and have her g- jump out, come to you, and then attach her. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. My, my dog's an Australian cattle dog, and she's still quite young, and she would definitely uh, run to bite a wheel of a tie, a car or something and just be dead. So, um, we're, we're like, when I have the garden tractor out in the backyard, she runs up and starts biting the tires. And I'm like, oh, that's such a bad habit. Like, <laughs> um, What a... I guess I want to ask some of the pros and cons of a cargo bike setup. I mean, I guess definitely the the biggest con is probably the weight. But like we mentioned, it's the way you built it is probably not that significantly heavier than a steel touring bike. Um, so, what, yeah, can you add to that? So I think that is the the, the main downside. I think you're quite right. The other, perhaps the other downside is is it becomes more difficult to take it on a train. Mm. So I mean, to get back after doing the drawing, we got a train. Um, and that was, a, I mean, it was okay, but we were restricted to regional trains because they have a bigger space for bicycles. Oh, okay. So it just takes longer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of kind of, so the alternative in my mind would be a trailer. And firstly, our dog doesn't like the trailer particularly. We did try in the past, um, but she just didn't like it. She she couldn't see. She'd just sit there crying. Well, not crying, but but obviously unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's much happier to be in the front. Um, and another positive of her being there is so she enjoys it, but I can also see what she's doing. So, so for example, if she sees a cat, I can see that she's a bit agitated and I can tell her to say. Um, and this is, I mean, you can you've got a much better connection because you can see what's going on for her. Right. Um, instead of having a beyond on the trailer, of course. Um, and then, so what do you think? Pros and cons of trailers and cargo bikes? Yeah, I mean, there is ra- less rolling resistance on the on the cargo bike because you have just two wheels. Mm-hmm. So it's much harder to pull a trailer up a, 
off-road truck than uh, than a cargo bike is substantially harder. So there's also this spring effect of the kind of trailer going further back and then forwards, and I mean it, it kind of it takes away some energy. I'm convinced yeah. of that. That's oh yeah yeah I can see like you just loot. There's like what they, like, I'm not a physicist, but like kinetic resistance or some kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. just the pull pull push effect, right? Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I, uh, I say, in my opinion, the main disadvantages of the cargo bike are, I mean, compared to the trailer, the weight is not much more, but uh, it's really the cost and the transportation, which is a bit of an issue sometimes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think it's just positive. Also, I had an accident with the trailer at some point. I was uh, I was going without Zola, and uh, I hit a curb on just on one side. And, of course, the trailer tipped over, and uh, I lost control of the bicycle. It was really, really dangerous. Mm. Um, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you don't see what happens to the rear wheels. You, you just, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you forget that two wheels at the back are wider than your bike's space, yeah. right? And yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of gear do you have to carry for Zola? And like, how much food did you carry at any one time? Was it easy to resupply? Um, same with water. What was so, your process? <laughs> We carried uh, always a jacket and uh, two jackets. Uh, yeah, two jackets. Mm. One for cold and one for waterproof snacks. Mm. Waterproof snacks. So a rain jacket. Then she has, of course, her own uh, sleeping bag, which is a blanket. Because um, they make dog sleeping bags, right? You know that. They do, but yeah. <laughs> we made we made her yeah, blanket. Is is uh, yeah, You make bikes. You can make a blanket, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's super light, it's super cool, and nice. it's made of a uh, Primaloft, I think yeah, it's called. Yeah, oh, so sweet. it's a proper camping yeah. uh, quilt thing. I mean, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a quilt. it's pretty yeah. cool. And then she, we have uh, uh, scissors, <laughs> uh, nail so, clippers, and brush, because she's one of those dogs that keeps producing hair, and uh, you have to do something about it. And, of course, food. So for the food, it's a bit tricky, because... Uh, uh, we had to be close to a uh, to this uh, line that we traced, so we couldn't go off too much to find proper dog food. Mm-hmm. And supermarkets don't have very nice dog food, at least in the countries we we went to. Uh, so we ended up maybe finding one specific dog uh, food store, and we bought two three kilos of you know dry food, and that stayed with us for for weeks. So it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And the water, well, she has her own bottle. I accidentally drank from it <laughs> a few times, but I didn't get sick. Um, and we carry half a liter for her. Okay. It was not enough in the very, very hot days, but otherwise it's okay. okay. She also drinks from rivers and lakes and all that. Yeah, and you just try to control the cleanliness of her environment, right? Where she's, you know, not some slow stream, but if it's a river that's flowing, then it's... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. And does she have goggles at all? I, I always love seeing dogs with <laughs> goggles. We're still looking for the right model. Yeah. Um, I'm desperate to get some goggles on her. Yeah, I want to. I, I know that this uh, John he has like really nice goggles for his dog, but like when you look at them, like they're sweet, but they're not cheap. And I'm like, uh, maybe another year from now, you know, like right, yeah. uh, before yeah. I start doing some real wilderness stuff where we're going through woods with trees and she's running, you know, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how did she? How did Zola manage on the long days? Uh, what was your longer days? Did you have some days much longer than others, or was it always kind of fairly evenly distributed? No. So yeah, there were some longer days. I mean, primarily because there wasn't a campsite at the right point, so we kind of kept going until we got somewhere decent. Um, I mean, it wasn't particularly. We're really slow, so I mean, it took a while for us. But some, I mean. Um, um, lighter and just stronger cyclists will be able to do it much faster. We probably did nearly 100 kilometers on the longest day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not that much. Uh, but anyway, so. It's still a lot um, when you got cargo bikes or heavily loaded touring, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good distance. It's, um, okay, thank you. You're um, welcome. We also need 10 or something on a yeah. <laughs> That was like going to the store and back? Or? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and then how did Zola deal with the longer days? She, I mean, we always try to get her to do five kilometers, say, on, on her own paws. Um, 
And I mean, you can see that she's tired. You can see that it's stressful. And it, I mean, we felt a bit bad doing longer days in the saddle. Mm. Um, but she was good. I mean, she, she was a bit more tired at the end of the day and we kind of felt like we owed her an extra walk at the end of the day. But, 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 <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's a good girl. She, I mean, she generally likes it. She, yeah. she, yeah. How how active is Zola? Like as her her breed, you know. Like my dog is a fireball of energy. Um, I feel like, you know, I know that they can run up to like forty kilometers a day if they are if they're if they're built up to it, you know. So which is great because that means you're not carrying that extra thirty five pounds for forty kilometers of the day. I think on our trip we did, she never ran more than maybe 20% of the ride. So maybe 10 kilometers, 15 kilometers was her biggest day. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if your dog is not running too much and then you get to the end of the day, I think it's like a child who's been sitting in a seat all day and now they want to play and you're like, I'm freaking tired. Yeah. Like, how, how do you manage? How's Zola? She is uh, an atypical Legato Romagnolo. So they usually have a lot of energy, but she's very quiet. She can go on forever, but uh, in her quiet way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we <laughs> uh, we do take her out for walks sometimes, <laughs> even uh, at the end of the day, because, uh, because in a normal walk, she can sniff and, sn- you know, do the dog stuff mm-hmm. more naturally. Whereas if we go at 15 kilometers per hour, she just has to run. She can't, she can't, uh, right. she can't do anything, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, I think my dog, uh, uh, her fastest, and sometimes it was her pulling, like she wants to go, it was like 17, 18 kilometers per hour. And I'm like, holy crap, she's moving. But that only lasts for like a kilometer or two. And then she's like slowing down. And yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, just checking to see, we we did talk about some of the things I had written down. Um, Did you ever have to, I mean, she's, she's older, so you don't have to worry about things like stimulation collars or anything like that to get her attention. She's, you just call her and she comes back kind of thing. Well, in theory, uh, yeah, that's what we tried to do, but so, I mean, it's really good on when we're on the bike, she knows that we're much quicker. So she pays a lot more attention to what we say. And if, if we do call her and she doesn't come back and we start going a little bit faster, she realizes and she comes running Mm. after us. Yeah, I've noticed um, that with my dog too. Some similarities. Yeah. There. It's it's cool. It's 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 a useful training method for her. I was just getting on a bike. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, she's she's a good girl. We we didn't really have any problems with her at all in this respect. Oh, that's amazing. Um I was gonna ask you as well, you did mention like some days were longer because you were trying to find the right campsite. Were you got was this like paid campsites or did you wild camp at all? What was your accommodation setup? How did you manage things? So we primarily camped in, in paid-for campsites. Um, we maybe wild camped once or twice because there wasn't there really wasn't anything, but, but we tend not to do that. Um, and we also used some hotels when it was really really rubbish weather. Um, and then for the for the pre-pandemic part of the journey, we also used I don't know. It, it, there's an association called Warm Showers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. Um, and that was brilliant. But then I'm in the kind of after pandemic period, we just decided it wasn't right mm-hmm. for us to do it. And we're going to supermarkets every day, whatever. Yeah. We just decided yeah. we weren't now. That's fair enough. Yeah. I think, um, with when COVID happened, I started my tour and I think in the entire thing, I think I had maybe two, two hosts. Uh, yeah. I sent out some messages, but I realized like nobody's really replying because everybody's mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, being cautious and yeah. they don't want to take that extra chance. And, um, yeah, so be it, you know, we have to just accommodate, adapt our adventures and carry on. Yeah. 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 Shower in a river or if you go to a campsite <laughs> like you guys. Um, but I think like, I think in Europe generally and, and, and sorry, and saying Europe is pretty broad a statement, but typically it's not crazy expensive to stay in a campground. You I think four euros. And as much as 40 in Switzerland, of course. Oh, yeah. Switzerland would be the exception to the sanity, right? Yeah. <laughs> well. So we were talking about camping uh, before we got so rudely interrupted by the internet again. And you were saying that typically you stayed in campgrounds and you said the prices can range from 4 euros to 40 euros, eh, depending on Switzerland or not. 
So, yeah, in this respect, France is brilliant. I mean, it has a kind of, what, what's it called, a communal campsite? I mean, uh, it's municipal. A municipal, municipal, that's it. Ah. So, I mean, it, it, in, in loads of villages, there's kind of a, a village run, a, what's it, the, 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 the council of the village own the campsite in some way. That makes sense. And then you get really low prices, typically, and I mean, it's, it's great. There's a great network. Um, and then elsewhere, it's kind of, yeah, it varies. It mm-hmm. varies. Yeah, here in Canada, it's, it really varies as well. But typically in Ontario, my the province, I mean, I live in Quebec, but typically Ontario is where I was, quote unquote, home. Uh, there's no discount for like a bicycle tour as opposed to a 20-foot RV. So, yeah. you know, it still costs you $40, $50 a night, every night that you're going to camp. Yeah. So a lot of people here wild camp because it's just crazy. It's too much. Yeah. Where... In British Columbia, they have these forestry-run campgrounds that are up in the mountains and woods and stuff where the Forest Service use when they're fighting fires or cutting trees or whatever they do. Um, but they're like, they're free, you know, <laughs> which is awesome. And then if you go to other campgrounds, they tend to be like $10 a night, um, $15 maybe, depending on the province. So it, it, can, it really varies in Canada, but Ontario is ridiculous. And yeah. I know so many people that say, yeah, bike touring through Ontario, just wild camp because... We have a million lakes, maybe half a million in Ontario. Why would you pay to stay at a lake, you know, when you could just yeah. go off a trail and find a lake? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And this thing of the, the the camper vans and the cyclists paying the same fee, this is, I mean, this is a bit painful. Yeah. And it's, it's also like that here, and, and it's not. No, it depends. Ain't it? We, we pay rare. a little bit less. Okay. okay, car and camp, car and tent pay the same as bicycle and tent. Yes. Mm. Like, and a, camp, well, in and a, a motorhome pays more. It's true, yeah. Okay. But a tent in a car is typically much more. Yeah. And in the U.S., they have a really, oh, I forget the name of it, but I think it's called um, bike-in or walk-in campsites where, mm. you know, they have some spots reserved for those that are basically on foot or with mm. tires, bicycle tires. And it's like, same thing, like $10 a night, so cheap, where yeah. campers and stuff will be paying like proper fees. Um, but they have this in the U.S., and we don't really have that here, and it's it's kind of a it's a it's a massive it's nice pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was there anything I missed that you guys want to talk about before we obviously have internet problems again? <laughs> There's nothing that comes to mind for me, Ari. I can't think of anything right now. Any uh, any upcoming adventures? Uh, so I mean, we want to go on holiday. Like <laughs> we've been cycling this route where we've been kind of stuck on this line yeah. for quite a while, and we've been quite restricted in what we can go and see. Because I mean, you can't go further than say fifteen kilometers off the trace that that, that Ari did. Yeah. Um, so we just we want to go on holiday on bikes where we can choose the direction and go. exactly what to see and just be free. I mean, this is this is the next thing. Yeah. So nothing interesting from a from a. Yeah. And what country are you thinking of, or have you decided yet? We yeah, we would like to go to Spain and Portugal. I mean, mm. going via France uh, because we haven't actually cycled there ever in our life. We have done a lot of Scandinavia, you know, UK, Central Europe. A bit of Eastern Europe. We went to Istanbul once, yeah, uh, but uh, not Spain and Portugal. Ah. And it seems okay for the autumn months as well. Yeah, I was going to say. I think now is the perfect time to go because it can get ridiculously yeah, yeah. hot in the summer. But now would exactly. be, yeah, the right season. Yes. And the same with southern Italy, right? It gets really hot in the summer. It's not your ideal place yeah. to be in, like July, August. But yeah. later in the fall, it's probably beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Are you? Uh, any kids coming along soon? I think nothing better than two cargo bikes, child, dog, one each, you know? <laughs> no, 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 not planned. Plan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Daniel's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to build another cargo bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, and where can people learn more about your adventure and uh, find you guys? Uh, so on Instagram, there's bicycles will save the world, followed by underscore. And then there's bicycleswillsavetheworld.com. The website, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. I will add those links and, um, yeah, any other things I can find that are interesting about you guys. Um, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I know it was uh, <laughs> there was a few little technical issues, but um, I do appreciate uh, you taking Thank the time. You. Thank it's you very much. It's been good fun. Bye-bye.
I just want to thank Ariana and Daniel one more time for being on the show. For listeners out there, I do realize that the audio wasn't the best we ever had. We had a huge storm at my house the day before and power had flickered on and off several times. And I think there were still some issues with, uh, with internet connections and it cut out a few times. So that's why you heard me say, uh, we're back again. I just edited out as much of the cutouts as I could and it is what it is. Yeah. They thought maybe it's on their end. I'm pretty sure it was on my end, you know, but anyways, overall, I'm very pleased to have had the chance to speak with them and that we were able to make it through the conversation, which uh, definitely had some pauses and times where we had to think about what we were talking about before it cut out. So thanks again and uh, keep on peddling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketoadventures.com or go to the website biketoadventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.